Hey everybody, it's Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you yet another amazing episode of the podcast. Um, as always, because I'm totally biased that way. Uh, this is episode 106, which is all about Star Wars episode 8, The Last Jedi. Uh, and this is one that was promised before the new year. Uh, inevitably did not happen because with how sick I've been getting so often, because I live with a small child who communicates diseases quite frequently due to the nature of children. Um, so yeah, it didn't quite uh, pan out the way I thought it might. Uh, I, at the time, thought maybe my immune system had toughened up a bit more, but not so much. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I don't think there's anyone who would turn down another episode of, uh, of some kind of podcast talking about The Last Jedi, because it is definitely worth talking about. Uh, this is myself and James, who you will recall from several other episodes, uh, including the previous one about the Punisher. Um, he and I decided that we just needed to do it because we've been talking about it, and then I got sick, and so that extended more of the time, so we just did it. Uh, you'll notice throughout the episode I'm probably, like, you know, my voice sounds a bit heavier, I sound like I'm still sick, and just trying to get through the conversation. I think towards the end there, I was just really tired and exhausted, and that's that's not for you to worry about. It's just me and my health and whatnot. So, uh, yay, healthcare. Um, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed talking to James about uh, Last Jedi, about Star Wars, because those are things that I just want to talk about all the time right now, because it's easier than dealing with the rest of the world. Um, but no, I, I just want to say wholeheartedly, I the more I think about The Last Jedi, the more I like it, the more I love it, uh, the more this trilogy is, this current trilogy is turning out to be um, pretty friggin' sweet. Um, we do have our reservations about the next movie uh, having J.J. Abrams at the helm again, but you never know. You never know. I want to be optimistic. I'm trying for that, so yeah. That's about as good as I can muster right now. Still, still recovering. But anyway, hopefully you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we had fun talking through this episode. Uh, but yeah, uh, once again, episode 106, That Girl with the Curls, all about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oh, so, are you ready to talk some Star Wars, sir? Always ready to talk some Star Wars. Excellent, because I feel like I haven't been able to talk about it as much lately, and probably because of the exile that comes with being sick quite often and having yeah, a small child yeah. in your life. I mean, the nice thing, I think, about having all this time where I haven't talked about it is I keep ruminating about it more and more. Yeah. And the more I ruminate, the more I'm like... That was a great concept. I enjoyed that a lot. Mm -hmm. Or, like, 
maybe that could have been better. Yeah. Um, so my friend, uh, Kara, who she's been on the podcast a couple of times previously, but, uh, so she was in town, uh, with her husband and we were kind of talking about it as we were walking around, uh, the Fremont area. And, and she was like, yeah, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't, I didn't like it a lot. You know, the more I think about it, the more I have issues. And I, I told her, because normally Karen and I are really similar in terms of like our opinions on movies. We're kind of the same person, only she's two years younger than me. Um, so it's a weird timeline thing, kind of some wibbly wobbly timey wimey shit going on. Right. But, but, uh, but I think this is the first time I was ever like, you know, I had the exact opposite reaction than her. I was like, the more I think about it, the more I like the movie, the, the more I can forgive the flaws that I know are obviously there because, you know, I'm me and I can't not notice them, but they don't bother me the more I think about it. How, how has it been for, for you in terms of like going through that cycle? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, like, so, so I try to have an open mind when I've talked to other people or when I've read other engagements and stuff as far as like people who didn't like specific things. And there's some very specific things people latched on to mm-hmm. in the movie that they're like, that was horrible. It never should. Like, like what was the point? Yeah. And like I'm the guy who like the more, I think, I don't know. I think the more hostile people got about how much they disliked particular scenes or plots within the movie, mm-hmm. the more like I really sat back and analyzed it and found reasons that I was like, no, but that was genius. Like yeah. that was just brilliant writing. Like there's there's so many there's so much like subtext <laughs> to everything there. Like how could you miss that? And I don't know. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe just maybe, um, I I'm on the spe- like I I've had some people kind of introduce it in a way where I'm like you know I kind of understand to some degree mm-hmm. they're still wrong. They're still hundred percent wrong. They're always but still to wrong. Some degree, all the all the fans that are like BVS fans and Man of Steel fans who are like everybody's just hating to hate and like that's where I've kind of been with this movie. I'm like y'all are just hating to hate. You just you totally missed the point. Like yeah. you just you really need to buckle down and analyze. It. <laughs> and I'm like yeah no I think I'm sounding more and more like those people about this movie but I'm not upset about <laughs> sounding like that for sure no it's it's. Yeah, cause, I mean, obviously full spoilers for uh, The Last Jedi, but it's, I mean, I don't know, like, I I don't, I think I like this one, actually, the more I think about it, more than Force Awakens, just because of everything that's, you know, that everything that Ryan Johnson, who is, he's a hit or miss director, writer, you know, writer slash director for me, because I liked, I, I really liked Brick a lot, which I don't know if you've seen Brick, um, but it's, you know, it's a... A, a noir film set in a high school. Okay. Uh, and it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the lead in that one, too. He, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is his, his muse. Um, but, so he's, he and he's brilliant in that, too. Um, but I wasn't the biggest fan of Looper. Like, I have, first of all, I just have problems with time travel movies to begin with. Uh, <laughs> they never, it's very rare when a time travel movie adheres to its own logic. Um, and Looper right. just egregiously broke every rule that it had set up, and I was just not a fan of that. I was like, you can't do that, especially with a time travel movie, Ryan. Like, that's not how this works. Um, so, yeah, so of, of the... I think those are the only two movies he's really written directed, I think. There could be uh, more. 
Yeah, he did Looper. He did The Brothers Bloom, which is... Like, oh, I like that one, too. Yeah, it's one of those, like, indie movies I think a lot of people don't think about. But, yeah, a lot of his other stuff is just a lot of, like, shorts. Yeah, pretty much shorts. I'm, like, I'm looking at his IMDb as a director, and I'm like, he's only been directing since 96. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Damn him. Um, but no, I think, and I think some people were really happy that he was going to take over the, the second installment in the third trilogy of the Star Wars saga. Um, some people were, were on board. People like me who, were, who you know, since Looper was the last one I had seen of his, I was like, nah, I, don't, I don't know, maybe. Um, but I'm really happy with what he did taking over from, uh, um, what's his name, J.J. Abrams. Uh, how, how do you feel Ryan Johnson did? Um, less lens flare, yes. which was, you know, good. Always good. Um, <laughs> I know it's the signature of Abrams. I really do. Like, it, it's just something he does. And admittedly, if, when I go back and I watch The Force Awakens, lens flare is not as egregiously, like, obvious as it is in, say, I don't know, Star Trek? What? So, <laughs> you mean every <laughs> shot with its lens flare? <laughs> So, uh, no, it's, I, I think taking the helm from somebody who does storytelling in the way J.J. Abrams does, and the fact that J.J. Abrams, I think as a director, is probably so much more established mm-hmm. um, with big titles than Ryan Johnson is, obviously. Um, I was, yeah, I, I was in a headspace where, when they were like, yeah, no, it's not J.J., it's Ryan Johnson. I was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> and somebody was like, the guy who did Loop. And I was like, I didn't even know who did Looper. I just watched the movie. Um, so it was real. like, I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't have much of a background to base it on. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, I think that was kind of smart for Disney, because it really does take us back to, like, the young George Lucas days. When mm-hmm. George Lucas, like, he was a young director, he had kind of worked on some things, but nobody really knew about him or knew what they were. Um, and so he was this, this person who had like this creative idea and he had so many, uh, he had a vision, um, and that was exciting. Um, and then he turned into Jabba the Hutt, quite literally. Um, so <laughs> he became the like, thing he hated most, right? Like yeah. he gave into the merchandising and I feel like Ryan Johnson did a, did a good job of like showing that creativity of, of breaking the mold and trying things and having a vision that nobody expected. Yeah. Like, I think he succeeded very well in that. Yeah, this the, the Last Jedi, the one thing that a lot of people agree on, whether or not they like it or don't, is that it, it definitely defies expectation. And and in terms of that, what I, what I mean is that a lot of people, like fanboys and fangirls in particular, like the the Uber fans where you're just like, okay guys, I get it, you love the movie you love this franchise, but like let's chill a little bit. Um the I think a lot of people just hyped it up, uh, you know, in in their heads. Like there were these fan canon, you know, fanon things that were going on where people were like, "This is who this is going to be, and this is who Ray's father is going to be, and this is whatever Snoke probably means this." And it's it's interesting to have seen that Force Awakens, not, not Force Awakens, Last Jedi has essentially squashed all of that, and yeah, it just and, broke every exactly. single theory, and in spectacular <laughs> fashion. I mean. Because if we're, you know, I guess, uh, uh, do you want to summarize it? Do you think you can summarize kind of the, the general plot? Because there's three three main stories going on in this movie, but do you do you think you have a concise way of, of bringing us around? Yeah, yeah, I think 
So no so pressure. I, I can do it if you don't want to. Oh no, I, I I'll take a whack at it. Okay, take um, a whack. So I, <laughs> so I think I think the general plot of this movie is is a. I mean, overall, it's a story of consistent hope mm-hmm. um, in which we, you know, we open the movie seeing, you know, um, relations between different characters. Obviously, like we have Poe Dameron, um, who's, you know, this hotshot flyboy, and he's super great at what he does, but he doesn't really listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and an establishment of like somebody trying to prop him up to become a leader. And, and eventually, like we get there. Um, and that's like one of those underlying things that's throughout the whole movie where we're trying to get through that story. Um, but ultimately it is, it's a story of hope. It's a story that no matter what the resistance always keeps trying, like it's always ever more and forever there where, um, no matter how hard the first order, I mean, and this goes back to like the storytelling of, of the rebel Alliance, like Mm -hmm. all the way back to the first star Wars movies where it was, the Rebel Alliance was always pushing back, always, always there, uh, because they were always trying to fight for something better. And this movie just carries that story even further on, mm-hmm. um, and does so in such a tremendous fashion between showing that through individual characters, throwing that, showing that through character relationships, and by the end, showing that through the hope of a new future, through the youth that will be established as always being there to fight against injustice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that overlying plot of the movie was fantastically communicated and really well done in a brilliant fashion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, yeah, this overarching theme of the importance of hope basically, which is uh, talked about mostly by Leia, uh, General Organa, uh, throughout this, because in the you know one of the stories is uh, centered around Poe and his uh, attempts at mutiny. Um, and <laughs> basically, <Real> bad attempts. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not too good at that part. Right, but but it kind of goes into his whole story is about him being groomed to be a leader and not only uh, trusting that people are are trying to you know defend the rebellion in the same way that he is but that p- other people understand better than he does how something else can be accomplished. Because um, his... I mean, we'll get to that. But the And then the second story is basically Finn and new character uh, Rose uh, going on a you know trip to a casino to get a code breaker to be able to help them get onto, oh God, Snoke's ship uh, so that they can stop a thing from tracking them in light, spa- in light speed or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Something like in hyperspace. So it's a bit more convoluted, but the overall story in that is is talking about is is trying to show that the rebellion is not as squeaky clean as some that it isn't all black and white, but that also uh, the the biggest offenders in these types of conflicts are the people who play play in the gray area. You know the 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 people who are like I'm going to play both sides like. But then you're not actually you're what you're doing is you're not taking a stand for hope or for hate. You're taking a stand for indifference, basically. Um, and then our third our third story, but by no means like the 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 weakest of them or the last or whatever is Ray's story uh, that is uh, tied together with Luke's, uh, where she's trying to get some Jedi training, but then discovering that her hero, you know, this guy that she's idolized, is not the person she perceived him to be. Uh, and kind of coming to terms with that as well. 
So, and, and there's so much going on in this movie. Like, uh, some of the reviews that I read were like, it's overstaffed and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's so true. And yet I, I could have sat through this movie for an extra hour. I honestly, I think, cause isn't the director's cut like three hours or something? Man, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I feel like I read that somewhere that like the director's cut is like super long, and all I'm thinking is if I can sit through Titanic, if I can sit through Avatar, <laughs> you know, I will gladly sit through this movie, which I will actually enjoy more than both of those movies. So. Right, right. So give me it, give me four hours of, of the Last Jedi because I'm here for this. <laughs> oh man, if you won't, we'll we'll go start a petition. Yes, and, uh, and we'll make it happen. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Man, people are fascinatingly dumb. Just yep. so okay. So let's let's try and take this story by story. Um, so we've got the three major ones. Uh, which which one do you feel like we should tackle first? Um, which one do you have more fun talking about, or which one do you want to just get out of the way? Honestly, like, I mean, I enjoy all the stories. I agree with kind of what you said, where I think Luke and Ray's story is probably the weakest out of the lot. Um, but is it? Right? I, I mean, it is, but it isn't. Like, and, and it's it's probably the one story arc in the whole thing I probably have the most issues with okay. overall. Well, let's let's go with this one then. Let's let's yeah. do uh, let's do Ray and Luke, which also uh, dovetails into Ray and Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren and Snoke and what you know all of that stuff. So it's all kind of <laughs> it's very involved. It's complicated, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> that first because the movie picks up basically after um, after Force Awakens, like it's. It's not very long after Ray has gone off to uh, to find Luke um, on the island of was it Octu is I think that's the name you pronounce it or it's Octu. So. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I was like I I like Star Wars a whole bunch, but I have never been the type of person who's like I need to know what every planet is. <laughs> like all of them, all of them will be mine. Uh, but yeah, so she finds Luke on basically the the island that is. Um, it's like the origin of the Force, basically, or it's the most Force-awakened island ever. Um, so, <laughs> so she goes there, and the the first scene that she has with Luke is that the continuation of that end scene where she's, like, holding out his father's lightsaber to him, and the first thing Luke does, takes it, chucks it off the island. <laughs> Which, I'm not even gonna lie, in the theater, I, I even did that, like, kind of gasp-type thing, like, <gasps> No! <laughs> and then you find yourself laughing at it because it's like, of course he threw it off the mountain, right? Um, but yeah, so she she's basically he just becomes the old hermit, like a grumpier old hermit than even Yoda was. Yeah, um, and not even crazy. Like, I mean, not like crazy like Yoda was, where where it's hard to tell if Yoda was actually crazy mm-hmm. or just playing crazy really well. But he's like that grouchy old guy who's like, get off my lawn. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's also like, I mean, you want to say that Star Wars really like has a, it's d- deeply seated in star- in um, archetypes, uh, you know, yeah. the, the wizard, the you know, the hero's journey, the you know, all that stuff. And so Luke actually is now in that role. He's the grizzled wizard person, 
who, you know, in most stories would be like, ah, you have found me, young one, now I shall train you. And Luke is having none of that. He doesn't want to train Rey, he doesn't want to be involved in the rebellion, because he's dealing with these issues of guilt and this pressure to be, you know, quote-unquote Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, even though he himself perceives that he has failed. Like, he's failed spectacularly, and by his own his own actions that led to this. Um, and so he, he very begrudgingly decides to help Rey, but you can tell, like, he's basically trying to push her away from being a Jedi. He's just like, nope. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's, it's like, he's like, it, <laughs> hashtag helping, not helping. Um, because he, I mean, he does. He tells her very directly, like, fine, I'll train you. We'll start tomorrow. First lesson. And, like, each lesson is like, why the Jedi are horrible and failures and you shouldn't try to become one. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all of his lessons. <laughs> and I was just like, man, you are just jaded as hell, aren't but it, you? But it also makes sense because, I mean, if, if, if one thing, if you look at the prequels with any kind of positivity, which I, I rarely do, um, the, the prequels at, at the very least showed us that the Jedi as a group, as a religious order, sucked. Like, they were the worst. Like, worse than the Sith in some cases. Yeah, well, and he establishes that in such such a very delightful way. I mean, and so directly where he tells you, you know, like, the Jedi... The Jedi have never been great. Like, they they have tried to do great things, and they almost have always failed. Mm -hmm. Like, and, like, that that moment when, when they talk about that is... Like, for me, I was like... Yes, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for giving me this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's also interesting too because, again, what the prequels established, you know, whether they intended to or not, was that there was this um, this hierarchy that the Jedi were above all things, and it was bl- it was based in blood. I mean, the one thing the Midichlorians really did add in their own you know, unfortunate way was that they established, like, the Skywalker bloodline as, like, this ultimate, like, oh my god, these guys are so in touch with the Force and shit. Um, and and then what uh, The Last Jedi does is, thank god, break away from that, you know? Yes, and it, and it did such in, in, in that classic fashion. I mean, like, it was that moment where it took us back to um, A New Hope mm-hmm. when... Obi-Wan is explaining the Force to Luke and what the Force is. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost directly the lines. Like, I mean, it's not exactly, but it, it's the same essence of that that Luke gives Rey, where he's just like, you know, like, the Force is this... It's this it's this thing in the universe that you can feel. It perceives us. It's all around us. It's a part of us. And everything that we, we do in our everyday life, and most people can't even touch it they're Mm -hmm. not even aware of it and we have the unique ability to see it Mm -hmm. um and i was just like thank you thank you for bringing it back to a spirituality kind of thing rather than it's these weird bacteria things that are in your blood (laughs) damn it george lucas damn it i know but i mean it's and it's weird because when you look at it, look at it in that context that you know it just became like these powerful space wizards with this magic bloodline or whatever like it it took it took so much away from the original trilogy. <laughs> I hear you laughing. Um, 
space wizards with magic blood. Um, this is how Sam distills Star Wars. Um, like, um, but it what what it did was it it made the Force into this elitist thing, and what the Force Awakens. No, God, I keep getting them confused. Uh, what Last Jedi is, has done is finally brought it back to the original roots of A New Hope, where it was the uh, the the farm boy who then finds out he's a wizard. It's basically Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> finds out, like, he's... Or doesn't even find out, just becomes embroiled in this bigger thing. Um, and Rey is exactly like Luke, in that she is a nobody, ostensibly. Because Luke at the time was a nobody. You know, there eventually things were learned, but it you know in the new hope no one would have guessed those the the other things no one could have predicted you know where this was going it was just farm boy gets caught up in rebellion tries to save princess meets a rogue and a wizard and then becomes a hero that's it yay yeah. and then we get a medal uh whereas this is now like going like oh this you know illustrious warrior this this mage of of the force you know turns out uh, anyone can actually use the force and it's not a blood thing anymore. So stop talking about it like that. Right. It's like, it just really brought it back down to where not, you know, grounded it again in a, in not so uncertain terms, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then also like what's happening in, in this same, uh, portion of the story is that Ray and Kylo Ren or Ben Solo, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, find themselves able to communicate across the force and uh, it and it's it's really like I, I like those moments because it actually let you connect with both of them as they're connecting with each other and it I know it threw me for a, a loop when like certain reveals happened I, I don't know how, how did you feel about force talking <laughs> um, <laughs> force talking um, <laughs> it was different it was something because like this movie did a really good job not just in that and like later on establishing like new force powers right that, like we, we were all like wait people could do that yeah <laughs> um and so that's why like i was caught off guard because i was just like wait what they can they can see slash kind of talk like they well for sure i was like they can initially i was like wait they can talk across space <laughs> and kind of see slash know where each other are but not know like this is weird this is a little weird um <laughs> because it does it's so jolting like and, and i mean and and i think that's intentional because it's jolting for it, it's as jolting for ray mm-hmm. as it is for the audience where yeah. it's just like oh like she's she can see Kylo and talk to him um, without knowing, like, the space he's in, and he equally can do the same, which is almost, it's almost unsettling, because it's like, because we, the audience, are perceiving it as neither of them has control over it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just happening. And it's just like, that's awkward. That's yeah. so awkward. <laughs> and, and yeah, because, I mean, the way that it's set up, it almost seems like, is this, like, something that happened when they were fighting in the woods? Like, some connection got established? Like, they, I feel like it's it's done really well in terms of, like, okay, maybe this is just a weird thing that the Force can do from time to time. Because the thing with the Force is that it's the Force. It can do whatever it wants, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, like, and I think that's the thing that have also, it's also tripped up a lot of other people, especially the 
the the the friend friend boys, uh, because all the new things that are kind of established that the force can do, it's all made up. We, I mean, there's nothing established that the force can't do. So why why not why not have it do the things that it is doing? <laughs> so. Right. Well, I think a lot of that comes from like what was what used to be the extended universe and is now mm. considered like the legends. Where like I think a lot of those people who are extreme fans are basing a lot of their knowledge on the force from like that information. It's just mm-hmm. like none of that applies anymore. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, none of it applies anymore. Exactly. Now we have like this new storytelling of. And, and I like it. I really do. I like that the Force is basically something that the wielder, based on how strong they are with the Force and how they utilize it, can utilize it in any fashion that they want. Like, mm-hmm. it, it literally is the definition of artistic expression <laughs> with the Force. Like, if you can think it, you can do it. And it's, I'm like, yeah, let's do that. I want that Force. It's kind of like the Green Lantern ring. It's like, it's only limited by your own imagination, which is unfortunate because Hal doesn't seem to have a big imagination at times, but (laughs) fucking Hal. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Like the force is, is, is different for each user, especially like depending on how much further they want to take their training or meditation or anything, because everyone seems to find their own way of using it in a way that makes sense to them. Uh, so, so this connection between Ray and Kylo, almost, it, it feels jolting because for them it's jolting, but at the same time, it's totally in line with whatever the force could be. So why not? Um, and then it's, it's interesting watching them bond because in the first movie, you know, Ray, you know, Ray, it's, it's not been very long since they last confronted each other in the snowy forest. So the, the herd is still there, like both of them, like he, he's basically like two days out of just killing his dad. Actually, no, like one day out from killing his dad. (laughs) It's really interesting where the time frame is because it's been two years since the movie, but in terms of the actual like story, it's only been like maybe a day or two in which all of this is happening. Uh, so it's very condensed storyline, um, or time period at the very least. Uh, so yeah. Kylo's basically just a day out from killing his own dad, uh, hearsing uh, a surrogate father figure killed, and and just the, like those emotions are just so high with both of them, whether or not Kylo wants to admit it or not, because uh, he's feeling like a failure because Snoke chewed him out and everything, and he's just like, I feel so many emotions. Um, but uh, and then you get the story through both Kylo and through Luke of what happened that created Kylo Ren. And, uh, how, how did, how did you take the, the unfortunate, uh, creation of a monster? <laughs> um, I mean, I thought it was very interesting, um, in that essence where Snoke, um, and, and, and that's what, this is one of the, the few plot points in the whole movie that I was like, what? Wait, what? I'm very confused. Now. Okay. Um, because in The Force Awakens, like, at the very end of it, right? Like, a- after uh, Kylo has been injured, um, uh, what's his face? Hux? Um, huh? Hux? Uh, yeah, Hux is basically ordered by Snoke to, like, go find Kylo Ren and bring him to me because it's time to complete his training. Mm. And I was just like, oh, okay, yeah. Sure, makes sense. He just got his ass beat. Time to complete his training. Got it. Um, and so, 
And so we pick up, as said, like literally just like a couple days later. And yeah, he gets like chewed out by Snoke and Snoke basically tells him like you're weak and you're nothing and you're not at all what I expected that you could be. And and kind of pushes Kylo away and it really drives Kylo into into this like deeper fit of like you you can see the character is very much something that they didn't cover in the force awakens in the moment he kills han solo mm-hmm. um that was covered in the book and done very poorly in the movie because you don't really see a register in his eyes very well because again it's it's acting like sometimes it, it communicates well sometimes it's lost in translation are you talking about I'm, harrison ford or with um adam driver <laughs> With Adam Driver. Okay. Because it's the moment, in that moment, in the book, um, apparently, I haven't read the book, but I, I, I read this snippet, and it, and basically, in, in this little blurb, it says, in the moment that Kylo kills Han Solo, he thought it would bring him closer to the dark side. And in the moment that it happens, he suddenly realizes that, if anything, it has taken him further into chaos, where he's not sure... He's still, very, if anything, he's more unsure of himself than he ever was before. Yeah. Um, and they, and I did appreciate they register that in this film, where they're, where, where he really kind of says, like, you know, he killed your dad, <laughs> and it split you, and you're useless to me. And, you know, Kylo goes and has uh, another temper tantrum, like he does, and mm-hmm. smashes his helmet. <laughs> he, he's, he's really good at throwing tantrums and destroying pieces of ships. With his helmet. Right? Like, somebody's got to fix that, man. Like, that's coming out of someone's paycheck. Yep. Because <laughs> like, I loved uh, it in uh, Force Awakens when he has that one tantrum and you see, like, the two uh, stormtroopers just back up. Right, right? like, they're, they're heading that way and then they immediately, like, nope and Mm-mm. turn around and they're like, we're going the other way. It's like, we did not see anything. We were just going, well, let's just go to the cafeteria. Let's get some coffee. <laughs> right? Well, or even, like, the officer who has to, like, come to Kylo and deliver the bad news in the Force Awakens. And he's like, so there's a girl. And he's like, what girl? And he's just like, uh, so, uh, this girl helped the droid. And he, like, goes on a tantrum, destroys a bunch of shit. And he's just like, there's also this other thing? <laughs> like, I really hate giving you news right now, sir. Right. Um, so, I mean, the, the creation of the monster that becomes, um, of, of, that, that is, like, Kylo in this sense is, I, I felt a deeper connection to the character in this movie. Mm-hmm. In the last movie, I was very much willing to write him off. I was like, you are, like, the most ego, like, you're, you're, like, the most emo, not ego, emo, mm-hmm. um, like, millennial kid ever i yeah. swear to god <laughs> it's just so um, for the most part i was kind of annoyed with kylo most of the time in the force awakens in this one they did add a lot more depth i think to the character in the sense that like he does he's very conflicted because of what happened between him and his father um now that he's talking to ray like we see him present his side of the story on things yeah um and like there's even more conflict in that um yeah, because, I mean, it's it's basically, like, Luke Luke had a moment where he thought um, uh, Ben Solo, his nephew, who he was training, because obviously he's in the Skywalker line, man, he's going to have that magic blood. Um, so, <laughs> and he's a hippie, apparently, living in a commune. Oh, my God! <laughs> but, uh, and so, I think the, the one thing that never got fleshed out enough was 
when did Kylo meet Snoke? Because that seems to be the, the point where Luke started doubting his nephew because he already sensed the darkness in him when he has that moment of, of you know, when he, he sinks to that low moment where he's like, I might have to kill my own nephew um, because of how, you know, how much darkness I sense in him. So right. I think that's the part that's not communicated well enough. Or, I don't, I don't know, maybe they'll talk about it in the third movie. I'm not sure. But, yeah, because Luke is like, a second away from, like, or he's entertaining the idea, basically, of killing his nephew while standing over him with his lightsaber. <laughs> and then that happens to be the moment that Ben wakes up, see, only sees that his uncle is standing over him with a lightsaber, and then... like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. And takes it the way I think anybody would, like, I have to defend myself. Right. And crashes the place down. You know, arguably what he does after that could have been seen as going a bit too far in which he slaughters a whole bunch of other Jedi and I may have overstepped myself. Yeah, I, I, I overreacted. Like I admit to it, but in my in my defense he tried to kill me. Um or looked like he was about to. So on both sides there were some things that were done that shouldn't have been, but uh, Right. But it, it is an interesting way of, of showing how Kylo became Kylo in that it wasn't necessarily his entirely him doing it. He was Well, I think it influences yet another one of the themes of this movie, which is for so long in in the Star Wars franchise, everything has been perceived as very black and white. Mm-hmm. The Sith are evil, um, and the Jedi are good, and that's all there is to it. Yeah. And again, shades of gray, right? We hear Luke's side of the story, but it's not the complete version mm-hmm. right away. And then we have Ben Solo go, oh, no, 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 no. This is what I saw. Like, this is my perception of what happened. Yeah. And then Luke later coming completely clean and going, I doubted myself. Mm-hmm. And because of the doubt in myself, I saw the darkness in him, and I made a horrible error in judgment. Yeah. <laughs> like, a really bad one. Like, not gonna it's, lie, this is a biggie. It shows, like, shades of gray. Like, it's not as simple as black and white. Like, Luke made very clear mistakes. Kylo, a.k.a. Ben, has also made, like, very clear mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a matter of, like, how do these people own up to those mistakes? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, one of the other overarching themes, other than hope, is how we deal with failure. And what we do when we fail, because I mean, Luke has Luke has the biggest failure in that he, through his uh, failure to you know even you know have faith in his own nephew, he just used the the force to kind of sense something and then kind of ran with it instead of really like trying to deal with that in a different way. Um, it's always it's always with you know lightsabers with the Jedi. It's like it's all they can do. Um, like we can't talk about this. We must settle it by lightsaber. Of course. Lightsabers at dawn. Um, I'll meet you on the lightsabering hill. <laughs> like, I would actually pay to see something like that. Oh my god, yes. Well, I mean, we basically get that at the end, but we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, Luke's Luke's failure led to his nephew, you know, running towards the dark side, um, and and then we also have failure in the part of like Poe. Because in the beginning of the movie, when when we start off with that, which has one of the best like opening 
scenes, I think, in a while with uh, between... You've seen X-Wing do shit we've never seen an X-Wing do, exactly. and I was excited. <laughs> like, that whole battle was amazing, but then just even, like, Poe's back and forth with Hux, or his his uh, distraction. Uh, oh, right. Probably one of my favorite <laughs> opening salvos. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, am I still on hold? Like, I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait. It's okay. <laughs> like, can he hear me? He, he can. <laughs> <laughs> so good, um, but yeah, but, but we see that even though Poe has it, he he won in terms of they blew a ship up, but they also lost so many people and bombers, you know, because of it. Like he is not dealing with failure in a constructive way, and Leia is basically just trying to like hammer that home and like, hey, come on, like failing, we we can't fail in this way. We have to you know figure out a new strategy. We have to listen to each other. We have to. Um, she's like, we need leaders, not heroes, um, or martyrs, something like that. Um, and then you also have Master Yoda, who shows up delightfully in puppet form, uh, which I was so happy about. I'm not even the kidding. The only true Yoda. Oh, the only God. true Yoda. And he looked like they didn't like try to, I, I don't know, like he looked younger, but not in a like uncanny valley type way. Um, not like that weird puppet that they had in, um, what was it, uh, the first of the prequels, um, Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. They had that weird fucking puppet with, uh, it was just weird. Um, but this one seemed like a better version of the one that was in, uh, uh, the original trilogy. But when he shows up and he's just, you know, he's basically, he, he gives Luke the business and he's just kind of like, look, failure is, a, we, we learn from failure. It's, it's what we learn from it that dictates our actions, you know, going forward. Um, and that failure is also the part of being a teacher, you know? Um, we will, I think that's something that a lot of people have said, like teachers will inevitably fail their students at some point, you know, whether it's in the lesson or just as people, because they're not infallible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, failure plays a huge part in this movie. Like, and even, even the, uh, Rose and Finn storyline, they don't succeed. They, totally fail. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to matter really in the long run because it's all about the thematic stuff about poverty and uh, the haves and the haves not, but, you know, let's let's call it what it is. Um, So, yeah, sorry. I rambled and I'm losing my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's important that is established with the Poe storyline where, um, I mean, we... And, I mean, I think it was an article you had even shared that established, like, something that was very interesting, that, like, upon, like, watching the movie, something I never established, upon reading the article, I was like, oh, shit, (laughs) yeah, a little bit, Um, in which uh, it it establishes, like, the fact that Poe, to some degree, is kind of judging this person on on her merits as, as, A, not what he perceived, because he expected, like, I think, like, the subtext is he expected a man to yeah. be the role of this so-called general. And oh, then, with, uh, with Laura Dern's character, uh, yes. Vice Admiral Holda? Yeah. Or Holda? And then, and then it's, like, taken aback when it's like, oh, it's a woman mm-hmm. with purple hair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm all for, like, I, I wish I could get that level of purple. <laughs> I know. Um, and, and the thing is, is, like, I... And initially, like, again, just the brilliance of the writing 
in this in this movie where it has you as the audience kind of on Poe's side initially, where like you're very unsure of this character and the way she addresses things and takes things. Like I was very much one of those like I don't know, like maybe she's a mole. Yeah, that's where my brain immediately jumped to. I was like, I feel like she's a mole, and that's because of a setup that was done with like the First Order in something that Huck says, where he's just like, we have a line in the water kind of thing, and yeah. I was just like. Oh, like they have a mole. And so I was expecting that route. And then, you know, we ultimately find out, like, nope, Poe's just an idiot. <laughs> well, um, Poe, he's not just an idiot. He's He just doesn't trust other people to make decisions without, like, consulting him, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's like, he's like, <laughs> I have all the ideas. I have the best ideas. <laughs> all of my ideas are great ideas. Like, he's very much on that front. And it's just like, no, Poe. No, your ideas are bad. Turns <laughs> like, out most sure. of your ideas are not working out well right now, so right? maybe um, sit down and shut uh, up. <laughs> well, especially after he gets like a dressing down by um, Leia, mm-hmm. where like she's just like, you know, we don't, as you said, like we don't need heroes. We need leaders, and because heroes get people killed, yeah, and leaders lead people, you know, um, in a better direction for safety. And we don't lose people like that. Yeah, I mean, she's so, trying to teach him, like, to see the bigger picture. Um, yeah. And it, and it takes him a good while to do it, but by the end, he's, he's, he's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, think, I think that storyline is very well established in the sense that, yeah, by the time Poe's story reaches the end, it's all really crystal clear to him where he's acted brashly, he's made really stupid mistakes, Mm -hmm. he's cost people lives, and suddenly, like, that all becomes really, really apparent, and it's just like, okay, it's time to get the job done. It's time to lead these people properly, because they need it. Yeah. Um, And he does so, in magnificent fashion, in in the exact way you want to see that character's growth go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because... I mean, like like you were saying with like Kylo Ren, you know, in the in the first in in Force Awakens, I mean, all of these characters are very um, they're very uh, not one. They're probably about two dimensional. They they haven't quite gotten all the depth that they need yet, and and you kind of need something like that because you need something to kind of latch on to for you to be like, oh my god, they're so cool, and I think that they're awesome, and oh, this story is interesting, but it's only surface level right now. Whereas this movie actually, because we know who these characters are to a certain degree and can now flesh them out a bit more. I mean, it's why Kylo Ren's story is even more um, heartbreaking is because you're like, he had a, he had a chance, but everything around him started pushing him in one direction. Um, and so you, you get that same thing kind of with, with Poe and with Finn and with Ray. Like we start really uncovering bigger and more hidden depths to them as people. Uh, because you don't need to have, I think that's what works in this movie's favor, um, in terms of having such a condensed timeline as well, is that it's, it's so fresh after what's just happened in terms of the movie's timeline, that these people are having to, like, learn and grow up on the fly, practically, uh, and, and, and in in this case, especially in Poe's case, he has to learn quickly, because if he doesn't, people are gonna die. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, like you said, the this his storyline, I think in terms of a character arc, he has probably after Kylo Ren, probably the, the most fulfilled one, I guess, in terms yeah. of like what they set up and what we end up with at the end. Well, in, in this movie, I mean, 
one of one of the other like I think sub pieces of this movie is like the Force Awakens. Like I was saying it very early on, where it's like this, like this is the beginning of the passing of the torch. Mm-hmm. Like that that's what this is, and the Last Jedi is a very firm passing of the torch um and and it did so in in ways that were almost unexpected because i expected like poe to become that new like rogue like to take on kind of the han solo role Mm -hmm. and then he doesn't like he really takes on the leia role where it's just like he becomes a leader um you know we see ray really take on you know the the new the new luke role of being not just a leader, but a beacon of hope um, for for the rebellion in many ways, um, as well as somebody who's trying to save someone else from the darkness. Yeah. Um, you know, and and then we see Finn. Finn's kind of like in this weird in between. I think. I, yeah. I, I his story is the one that I don't think his character even still was the best fleshed out that it could be. Like we added a little bit more. But really, not a lot. Yeah, his <laughs> to the his. Character. I think because I like Finn's story. I, I like the story that they're trying to tell. Um, I just think, in terms of again, because you have such a condensed timeline, this is the one story that suffers for it because a lot of things are happening at the same time. But we, as the audience, I don't think get a very good sense of that, other than a casual reminder here and there that they have oh only ten hours left before. Their right. ship runs out of fuel, and then the First Order, who are just barely following them and shooting at them, will destroy the the rest of the Rebellion fleet, uh, essentially. Right. Um, so him and, him and Rose are on a, a, a particular timeline. Again, with the three stories, doesn't really completely match up, so I think that's been the more difficult one to suss out. Um, yeah. But what I will say about Finn as a character is, again, because it's only like, two days after everything happened in the first movie, Finn never actually went through a traditional character arc. Because in the first movie, he runs away, and then he meets Rey, and he gets folded into this rebellion thing. But the only reason he even goes to the the Starkiller base is because he's just trying to get Rey out. He doesn't believe in anything. He's just trying to get his friend out of danger. I want to help my friend. Exactly. Uh, and it's and basically it's the only person he knows. The only person he, other than Poe, who he briefly had a, a bromance with in the in the cockpit of a ship, um, right. you know, Ray's the only person he spent like an extended amount of time with and actually became friends with, like you know, solidly. So of course he like that's his focus is on her because again, only person he knows and cares about right now. So his story is interesting because he he completes the arc in in this because of his time spent with Rose. Right. I don't think I I think we don't see the true beginning of his of his like deep development until we have that last scene on um the the on Snoke's big ass ship. Yeah. And it's after his confrontation with Phasma. And she goes, I knew you were always scum. And he goes, you're right, rebel scum. Yeah. And I was just like, this is the beginning of Finn. This is where we see him finally commit yeah. to the cause. And I, I think I think that's going to lead to good things in, in the final installation of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, it was it was super annoying when he was trying to get off the ship. 
when Rose first meets up with him. And, and again, it's this idea of failure and disappointment where she meets him and she's like, oh my God, you're Finn. And she's like, a, you know, a fan already. Like he hasn't even really been with the rebellion that long, obviously. Um, but she's already like, oh my God, you did this great thing. And I've already had to like, you know, uh, uh, tase all of these people who are trying to jump ship. And then she figures out within two seconds that he's trying to do the same thing. Wait, um, you have a bag of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. And she's just lost her sister, who fought bravely and sacrificed her life to to drop the the final payload on the big old dreadnought ship, which is apparently really hard to uh, to blow up. Um, but but yeah, so I, I was I was a little pissed when he was trying to run away, and I'm I'm glad that they're not going to keep that as like a running theme. Like Finn just keeps trying to get away from the rebellion. <laughs> Right, like episode, like the third episode of this trilogy is just like I have to go save my friends again. Yes. <laughs> and we're just like, no, <laughs> like quit running, you god. Nah. Um, but it, yeah, because the the whole the stuff on Canto Bright or Canto Bite, which is his and Rose's story going to this casino again to get the code breaker, who ends up being D- Benicio del Toro. Um, <laughs> amazing yes so good i guess he has an actual name oh sorry an actual name which is dj which it's like that's a great star wars name guys (laughs) hello i'm dj nice to meet you kylo ren yeah (laughs) nice to meet you poe dameron i'm dj (laughs) just like what like the, I did something happen? Did something go wrong? Did the name generator not work? Um, I know there's plenty of them out there. <laughs> right? Oh, we used the wrong one. We matched the birthday and the month backwards. Oh, damn it! <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. Actually, what I want to do after this is go on online again, go and find a Star Wars name generator, put in Benicio del Toro's name, and see what it comes up with. doable. I, I think that's going to happen, and then I'm going to post it all over the place and be like, these are some suitable names that the Codebreaker could have had instead of DJ. Like, this isn't an episode of Full House. Like, Any hoozle. Um, but, but his character, DJ, ends up being super important to this particular story because he's a guy who exists in the moral gray area. He's like, I'm not with one side or the other. I play whichever side is going to get me out of the situation that I'm in right now. Um, whoever's going to pay me the most, I, I'm i going to help. And that's, that is the exact same situation that's going on with the 1% that are on this casino uh, city type thing. And Rose even like lays it out for Finn too, where she's like, you know, this place is beautiful and glitzy and glamorous, but you look down there on the surface, down there on the ground where the people are. You know, my sister and I came from a mining planet or whatever, and we were, uh, you know, basically slaves to the First Order. And they don't talk about that. They, you know, no one ever talks about the, the, the people on the ground who are suffering. You know, it's all the glitz and glamour, but guess who's getting punished? Who's getting overworked? Who's, you know who are the people that need hope the most. Um, right. And so it's it's really through this this side quest mission. Uh, again, we're always talking about side quests, you and I. Uh, <laughs> through this lovely little side quest, we, get, uh, we, we actually have Finn realize that he needs to commit to the cause, 
or get the fuck out, basically. Right. Yeah, so I was I was happy with that. Again, my issue was more with how the timeline worked out, because it just doesn't didn't make sense pacing wise, and that's that's more of an editing thing. Yeah. Well, and the, and the, and the <clears throat> so the casino planet has been one of the biggest gripes <laughs> that people online. have had. I think uh, online about like uh, things about the movie that they felt were the most pointless. Mm-hmm. And it's just as you just explained. Like that's been my counter argument so much of the time. I'm like, no, like this, like like this establishes why the reason the rebellion exists like in so many ways like it's it's these people who have been put under the boot heel of the rich they've been put under the boot heel of the first order and they're people who want more for themselves they want they want a better future not just for themselves but for for their children Mm -hmm. for the you know and and so many of these people are slaves or underprivileged, or, I mean, like, the list goes on and on, Mm -hmm. um, and their reasoning for wanting to become involved in the rebellion, and the thing is, is we saw that story, we saw that story in 1970-some, when A New Hope was made, that was Luke Skywalker's story, that was his jam, he was the original OG about that, (laughs) where he was just like, (laughs) he was just like, I'm some farm boy on a dirt farm, fixing evaporators and shit and I want to go and I want to I want to fight with the rebellion like I want to be a pilot I want more than this shitty desert planet has for me and he I wants adventure in the great wide somewhere he wants it more than he can tell <laughs> right like he he wanted to fight for something bigger than himself mm-hmm. For for and, and get behind a cause like he was your he was your your current day millennial or, or I shouldn't say millennial sorry your current day SJW like he <laughs> he was all of those things like wanting to fight for something better not for just himself but for the galaxy as a whole and that's what this planet establishes with the Rose and Finn storyline and Rose herself is like I that's why me and my sister got into this was mm-hmm. because we wanted something better than what we have now because it's garbage yeah yeah it's yeah i i i adore that storyline it's yeah i just wish that the editing had been better on it yes um and then that whole uh was it the the chase scene uh with the with the the dog horse thingies that they're riding on (laughs) i don't know what they're called but they're cute um uh, that whole chase, I think, could have been shortened a little bit. <laughs> There's just certain things where you're like, okay, this is going on for a little bit longer. This is getting into prequel territory where like the scene just kept going because it was like a level in a video game. So maybe we should just cut it off now. 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 Stop. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so I think... I think those are that's always that's always my major gripe with with something like that is it's just if you guys had cut it down a little bit more it would have been better suited for the storytelling. Well, and I'm not gonna lie, the whole scene when they're running through the city and everything, like the whole time I was like, I feel like I'm watching like city scenes from a Final Fantasy game I've played. <laughs> like this all feels very familiar to me right now. Exactly. <laughs> it's like this is all uh, this feels like deja vu. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and and even uh, Finn and uh, not yeah Finn and Rose. 
Again, I just apologize to people who are listening to this. I am still getting over cold. Again. Um, but uh, when Finn and Rose have that that last, uh, it's I guess it's a confrontation when, when, um, when Finn decides he's going to sacrifice himself for the cause and, like, ram himself down that huge cannon to prevent them from getting into the mining planet they've all ended up on. Uh, and she knocks him out of the path of the, the beam and everything. She's like, we don't win by killing ourselves. You know, we win by saving each other, you know? (laughs) And it's it's such, it's such a good line too. Like we win by uh, saving the things we love. Um, which, well, I hate to say the cynic in me in that moment was like, but, but you do win if he destroys the cannon. Like, I mean, well, yeah, you know, (laughs) but then, but then you don't have Finn and then, you know, we like Finn. We love Finn. We want, right. We can't, we can't see if there's actual future development on his bromance and slash, possible romance with... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't know. There could be some, like, love rhombus going on with, like, the, the, the main characters right? at this point. Because <laughs> there was a moment where when when Ray saves them all at the end, uh, and, and Poe, like, introduces himself, basically, because you realize in the last movie, they didn't really... They never talked to each other. Because she, like, shows back up, and Finn is put in, like, the hospital stuff, and then she leaves. So... I don't know if they ever actually had a conversation, but they finally do. And there's a, a bit of a linger on the two of them meeting each other for the first time, supposedly. You're like, oh, no, is this what's going to happen now? Like, are we going <laughs> to... You know, because there's already the, the, the tension with her and Kylo Ren as well. Because you know what Star Wars is all about, which relationships are going to happen, so... Right, right. <laughs> I mean, we needed to have, you know, our... Uh, our, our like the housewives of whatever kind of scenario for going sure. On. Um, so, so we did, we did some of Luke and Ray. We did, we did, I think we covered Poe at not Poe, um, Finn and Rose's pretty well. Um, do you feel like there's more about the Poe storyline we should talk about? Or do you want to jump back into Ray and, uh, Luke? Um, I mean the, the Poe storyline, I don't know. It's really hard to, I think to go, farther because it's i mean it's i don't know it feels very cut and dry i mean there are very late like like there's the initial layers of what you see but it's pretty straightforward in the sense of um what his growth is to be um i mean we see him obviously like i have an idea i'll create my own rebellion within the rebellion yes his mutiny you're just like uh. right i know and i was like in that whole scene i was like you're kind of dumb aren't you (laughs) like i mean you're you're cute and, and you're funny, but mm. you're kind of dumb. <laughs> I think but, in this case, he was more Han Solo-ish than anything else, because Han, Han right. could have his moments where he's like, I know what's best, and then it's just not right, and you're like, yeah, you're you're lucky you're pretty. <laughs> right. Well, and I think one of the things we get a lot of really great development from that is is once everything comes to its fruition and everything, and like Leia comes back and... <laughs> She shoots him. Yes. And I was just like, oh my god, Leia, you're the best. Mm-hmm. You're let's, always the best. Let's talk about Leia. Let's talk about Leia because talk about Leia. this this was another thing that was that it was hanging over the movie the whole time because of course we we lost Carrie Fisher. Um yeah. and she had fortunately filmed all of her scenes for Last Jedi, but this means that she won't be featured in in the in the last movie. Still has no title. Um, which made a lot of people think that they were just going to kill her in this movie, and like, because that would have been the easy out. 
Um, and certainly in the movie, there is a moment where you're like, oh, is this when she's going to die? Because the, you know, uh, what Kylo Ren is about to blow up the, 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 what is that? The place where everyone gathers on a ship in Star Trek. Bridge. Bridge. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I've been up since like three. The place where everyone gathers. <laughs> that place. You know, that thing they all stand on and everyone's like, ooh, space. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Um, anyway, she's on the bridge. He's about to blow it up, but then there's this moment where, because Leia is, like, super Force-sensitive, you think, like, she, she she senses her son, obviously, and he backs off, but then someone else blows up the bridge, and she gets sucked out into space, and you're like, oh, this is how they're gonna do it, this is how Leia goes. But then they don't! What they do is Leia, because she's a super-sensitive Force user... She saves her goddamn self like she does every time. Um, like a badass. Like a badass. I mean, she and then she just supermans her way back onto the ship. <laughs> which I know a lot of people thought was, like, really corny, like, the way they filmed it and everything. But it was like... And then some people were like, how is Leia able to do this? Did she get some training? Where I was like, you know what? Luke does a lot of things that we never saw him, like, trained right. to do. Like, when he comes back in, what, Last Jedi, uh, not Last Jedi, um, Revenge of the, yeah, God, what is it? Return. <laughs> Fuck! Return me. of the Jedi? Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. There's the so Phantom many... Jedi. <laughs> Phantom Jedi clones. Um, whatever. In the third movie, in the set, in the first trilogy, Shit. Ugh, sometimes I hate this franchise. <laughs> um, yeah, but when he comes back in the third movie, he's suddenly, like, all super Jedi. And, like... Well, yeah, he's very, like, like, I know how to do all of the things. And you're like, really? How? Wait, you were a whiny brat in the last one. What? Exactly. It's like, did Yoda really teach you everything? I mean, you're only, like, a couple of years older than you were last time, so... I don't know what you were doing. But anyway, so... Everyone who's, like, griping about... Leia's use of the Force, it's like, how, I, I do again, it's the Force. Why can't she do that? You tell me why well, she can't. <laughs> well, my counter-argument to any of those is always, is, is, will always first and foremost be, like, okay, back up a step. <laughs> how many years has it been since we saw Luke uh-huh. in the Return of the Jedi? And if we drag the timeline, obviously, age, time, experience, things have happened mm-hmm. to where they are now. Who's to say that Leia didn't go, okay, Luke, I think this Force business is kind of stupid, but you say it's something I have, and as a leader of, like, these this rebellion, it could be something nice to have in my toolbox. For so sure. So, maybe you could teach me a couple of things. Yeah, Leia's a pragmatist. I mean, that if she finds anything useful out of the Force, she's gonna learn how to do it, and she's gonna, like, especially, yeah, you established that in the third movie... They're brother and sister, so if Luke is really good with it, why wouldn't Leia be? Right. So, yeah, I anyone who is just going after Le- that those scenes with Leia, just be like, fuck you, why can't she do that? You tell me. She's freaking General Organa. Like, I, like she is woman. Hear her fucking roar. Yeah, like, I, I love the Hamilton crossover with Star, uh, Star Wars, where they're like, here comes a general. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, I will follow Leia anywhere. Right, like, like, this is not just, like, the general we want. Like, this is, this is, this is the forever princess. Like, this is the princess 
of princesses. Yeah. Like, like, like she doesn't she doesn't mess around, and she is she is a great leader who is very poignant with everybody. And I mean, that's something we see her do. Um, obviously with Poe where, you know, in, in her mentorship to him of being like, I see the potential of a great leader in you, but you need to realize some shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's trying to, I mean, ostensibly she's just trying to groom him for, you know, when she's gone. I mean, which a lot of us thought was going to happen in this movie. And then she, she survives to the very end and which is going to make the next movie interesting because if they didn't cut her storyline, like, a lot of people thought right. that they would. It, well, it makes us question and go, <clears throat> is there going to be some sort of, like, like, are they going to off-screen kill her? Yeah. Or are they going to, or did they have, like, some extra footage in there somewhere to piece together? Or are they going to, like, do a CGI kind of thing like they did at the end of Rogue One, where they get somebody to body act and then they do some, like, CGI stuff? I mean, we have the technology now. Like, it's, it's do, a possibility yeah. that they just... They do something with the character, um, and, I don't know, she force spirits herself or something. Who knows? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think uh, out of all the curiosities that people have going into the third movie, that's that's kind of, like, big on my list. It's just, like, how are they going to get around that? Like, are they going to address something? Are they going to start off with her, her death or something like that? I mean, it, the, there's endless possibilities to what they could do, but it's more or less like what would be the most appropriate given, yeah. given it's Carrie Fisher, it's Leia Organa, and it's a character that we all love and respect. And this movie just hammers that home even more because like you said, she, I mean, she, when she supermans herself back into the ship, she's in a coma for, for a bit. And then fo- uh, Poe's failed, um, mutiny, she just blasts through the door and just, you know, he, he's like, Leia! And she goes, like, she just, you know, just shoots his ass and she's like, God, this kid is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, and they, and I mean, I, I give credit to um, the, the writing crew that worked on the script and to Ryan Johnson for the way he helped in post-production mm-hmm. in editing the scenes because as he said, like they they have a lot of footage, a lot of footage with Carrie Fisher, and yeah. and they had a lot of questions after her passing, where it was like, shit, like do we just like rewrite whole sections of this of, of this movie, or like what should we do? Yeah. Um, and I think I think in post production, I think they pieced it all together so so well. And for me, one of the best lines, not only for the memory of Leia, but the memory of Carrie Fisher. Is is that scene when uh, at the end when Luke Luke shows up yeah. as the hero and the legend that you know we, we you know we're we're expecting him to be, and he tells Leia because she's just like you know I I know I've lost Ben I knew I lost him a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, and I just I think I was always trying to hold out hope and Luke says you know nobody's really ever forgotten yeah and I was just like oh. Like, all the feels. Like, yeah. all the feels. Like, thank you so much. Like, this is it. <laughs> yeah, that, the scene between her and uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher there, with, which, I mean, knowing what you know about the background in, in, in terms of her passing and everything, like, that scene is just so beautifully done and so poignant. You know, yeah, when he's like, no one's ever really gone. And, and you're just like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Like, because I think that it was that moment, and then at the end of the movie, when after Luke has basically drained himself of of life, and he gets to he stares at the twin sons for the last time, 
and right. and John Williams' score, like Luke's theme, builds up, and it's just like, son of a bitch, why am I crying? Like, god damn it, <laughs> damn it, damn it, damn it. Um, I think those are the two moments in the movie that just made me. It's just like when you realize how emotionally invested you are in these characters, yes. and it's been so long since you've seen them together on screen uh, as these as these characters, and then getting that getting getting to have that moment between the two of them as siblings, it was just like, ugh, thank you for keeping this. Because if she had died, you know, earlier in the movie, like everyone thought was going to happen, we wouldn't have had that scene. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, cause, so Leia's awesome and rocks. Uh, let's talk about General Holdo or Holda and her, her sacrifice with the, uh, the light speed, uh, jump. Through the Light ship, speed, destroy everything. Oh my god! Because I mean, and it was it was one of those moments in the theater where, I mean, people were were enjoying themselves, but then like when that happens and everything goes silent, um, and just the different shots that they go to, showing the destruction and and just how artfully done that that yes. was. It was just like, holy shit. Like yeah, this is amazing. Star Wars, like that was one of the best cinematography scenes mm-hmm. they've probably ever done in a Star Wars movie for me. I was yeah. like, George Lucas, you ain't got shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, and this is something we wouldn't have gotten from J.J. Abrams. I think that's why, right. you know, having someone like Ryan Johnson who was thinking more, not more cinematically, but he was just thinking differently about how this movie needs to function. Um, and, and for, I don't think we would have gotten that if we had still had J.J. Abrams, like, doing this. Like, it still would have been a raucous adventure, but we wouldn't have those, like, silent moments like that. Well, and there was an artistry to it. I mean, the the fact that, like, they had to put, (laughs) they had to post warning signs in theaters telling people, at about this point in the movie, something's gonna happen, Mm -hmm. and all of the sound is going to stop. This is not a problem with our sound. Yeah. This is a feature of the movie. <laughs> like, but, I mean, it, and it is. It's it's such, because of the way that he did that, it's so poignant. Mm-hmm. It's it's so final um, in in everything, in everything that just happened, in the fact that we, we watch her make the sacrifice. Yeah. We watch the destruction of all these ships. And I know there's so many fan fanboys and girls out there who have made the argument they're like well if they could have just done that to start with why not and i'm like because hindsight's fucking 2020 guys <laughs> like, i mean like that's really all it breaks down to is just like in the moment in the heat of the moment nobody was just like okay so somebody who a show of hands who would like to sacrifice themselves to mm. use a warp light drive to destroy some shit yeah who wants to do that anyone like no, like that was never going to happen. It was, it was always from the very beginning, in in the longest, <laughs> in the longest space chase ever. Oh my god! Um, I think I think that's where the timeline also like really suffers is that they have like this eighteen hour gap where it's like, okay, if we just stay slightly ahead of this ship from this distance, we can still stay out of like complete like fuck all. Uh, territory. Yeah, really blowing up anything. Like every time the Order blows up a ship, it's an empty ship. Everybody has evacuated <laughs> it and moved up to the next ship. So they're just really being assholes. They're just like, you know what? Boom! We blew up this ship. 
Like, and it's also the the whole conceit of the fact that they can be chased, they can be tracked through hyperspace. Like, right. I I feel like they didn't handle that part well enough because they jump one time and then the first order catches up with them and they're like, shit, oh my god, how did they do that? They must be tracking us through space. Like, how was that your first conclusion? Like, that seems like the first conclusion. Yeah. Was like, wait, Leia's force sensitive. Maybe her and Ben, be- and it was all because of the Ray Ben like shit. Where I was just like, wait, oh, so like maybe like Ben has a connection and can sense his mom, and like okay, that make that kind of makes sense, sure. <laughs> no, nope. Like, nope, it's weird space gadgetry, and I was like, oh fuck that. Which is apparently which was apparently established in Rogue One. You know, blink and you miss it. Um, for, for tracking through hyperspace. But yeah, I, I feel like that needed to, they needed to jump a couple of times. Like, it can't be, we jumped one time, oh, holy shit, they found us, and we're also low on fuel. I think it, it should have been, holy shit, they found us, jump again, they find them again, jump again, find them a third time, then they're like, okay, now we're so low on fuel. Shit doesn't make sense, and we're running on fumes, Exactly. I, I, yeah, just having it happen one time, then the the automatic conclusion isn't very good. You need kind of like that rule of three. (laughs) But, uh, but no, like the, and it goes into like, uh, Holda's or Holdo's, um, sacrifice because it's like, I, I do agree on some level. It's like, why did it take you so long to figure out that you should maybe just throw your ship at their ship? And how many more ships had to get blowed up before you figured that one out? Well, and they did such a good job, I think, of establishing, like, there was obviously, like, this pre-existing relationship where she had such a deep respect for Leia. Yeah. And Leia had an equal respect, because Leia's like, I can do it. Like, I, I should do it. And I was like, oh, shit, this is the moment. This is how they're gonna, they're, 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 they wrote out Carrie's character. Like, she, she just sacrificed herself. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, Holo's like, no. These people need their general. They need their princess. And, and you need to continue to lead them. And I, I, I want to do this. And I was like, oh, oh, I guess we're not. Okay. Yeah. Like, we're just, we're, we're going with another option. Okay. Like, how does Leia keep living? I don't understand. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think because of, because of Carrie Fisher's, you know, her, her passing, like that's, that was so much the problem. I, I think a problem for the movie going into it and watching it for the very first time is I was like, when are they going to kill Leia? Yeah. At what point are they going to kill Leia? And so like, that was a constant expectation for me where I was just like, and it's going to be, nope, not now. Okay. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, nope. She's still alive. Look at that. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not there now. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. Like, God, when is it going to happen? Just end my misery. <laughs> sacrifice is just it is it's so poignant it's and again it's it's the beacon of hope it's the everlasting hope where it's just like this is it like this is their last like rough shot ideas like okay like she's gonna sacrifice herself and hopefully we all fucking live (laughs) um so yeah like that was good um so let's talk about let's talk about the the duel between uh Oh, there's so many, there's two, there's like so many huge things I want to talk about. We've got plenty of time. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about instead Ray and Kylo team up. Oh, uh, it's so good. Yeah. Because, I mean, through the establishment of this force connection, you know, they start bonding and start, it's kind of like this push and pull of 
like, you should join me. I'm like, no, you should join me. I still have hope that Ben Solo is in there. And, you know, he's like, there's no hope for me. And, and it's this really well done kind of like, especially like how it's filmed, like when they're talking to each other, they're, they're looking off screen in a different direction, but you understand that they are having this conversation with each other. Um, and it isn't until that they try to actually like reach out and touch like with their little fingers, uh, that, when Luke kind of runs in and he's all like, Rave, the blah, blah, oh shit, you're in here with her. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like catching your kid doing something naughty in their bedroom or something. No! <laughs> <laughs> but then Ray decides that, you know, she, she believes that there's hope that Ben Solo can still be redeemed. And she leaves Luke and, and basically she's just like, if you're not going to help them, what good are you to me? You know, if you're if you're just so against all of this, I believe that there's some good left in him, and I can bring him back. Um, right. And so she's kind of doing what Luke thought he could do for Vader. Um, that he thought that there was a chance for his father, and that in the end, Vader was redeemed. So Ray is kind of on that track, and she goes to the 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 ship. I don't I don't think it ever had an established name, but she goes to the ship, and. Uh, Kylo's there, and he takes her to Snoke. And then Snoke just starts on this, you know, his epic level, I am so good at what I do, and guess what? I can manipulate you two. I established the Force connection. Blah, 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 blah. And guess what? Kylo Ren is a weak, little, like, fearful boy. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, I can even predict what he's gonna do now. Guess what he's gonna do? Oh, he's thinking about he's gonna stab someone with that lightsaber. (laughs) Like, like, oh, nope, it's me. (laughs) It's like, Snoke just goes out, and then the best, like, oh, the scene is so beautifully done, so beautifully choreographed, it's so beautifully filmed of Rey and Kylo fighting together against the, the right. remaining Praetorian guard. Like, oh yeah, because oh. it's, it's the moment. It's the moment where we see we see the saber go through Snoke, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not Ray who force pulls it. It's Ben who force pulls it. Because mm-hmm. in that moment, I really think we saw more of a functional Ben Solo than Kylo in that moment. Yeah, and so we see him pull that saber, and just that the way. Damn it! If he didn't, the cinematography is just so well done because we just see that box where we see like Ray's hand shoot up and catch it, and the saber, you know, uh, you know, continues its ignition, mm-hmm. and then they're back to back, and then they're taking on the Praetorian guards, and I was just like, oh my god, this is like the best, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's and it's the first time where you feel like it, it's like the balance of the force, the dark and the light standing side by side, fighting the red. Um, and and the, and the thing is, what I really liked about that turnaround and, and then what happens with Ben after the fight, because he then takes up the power vacuum where, where Ray thought that, oh, he's on my side. That means you know, he's been, he's redeemable. Like we can go back and we can, we can fight together. And then he pulls another 180 and decides, no, I'm going to be the new Supreme leader. Um, with like, the, because this other theme emerges too of of killing the past, like he yeah, he's, burn he's, it all exactly and start fresh. Yeah, he's basically saying that to Ray. It's like you know because the again another thing we'll get into is Ray's parentage or, or lack thereof. 
uh, and he's just like, you're nothing in this story. You have, you have no place in it, but I can give you a place. You know, we can do this together. Like I, I've destroyed piece, you know, all of this stuff from my past. Like, let's just burn the whole world down <laughs> and start yeah. over. Well, and, and, and it is, it's, it's, it's very much like, a, it, it's very Shakespearean in that sense of, yeah, yeah like let's, Let's just take the world for us and mm-hmm. whatever we want it to be. Let's just build the world we want. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, that's great, but that you know that's not how the real world works, right? For sure. <laughs> but and, and I love how it was set up, too, because the expectation is very up in the air because when they're in the, the, the elevator before they get to Snoke, they both tell each other, I saw you standing with me and fighting with me, like on by my side. And it turns out they were both right. They did fight by each other's right. side. Um, it was just what happened after that that was not particularly clear. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like that was the best twist, I guess, in terms of like how you were... Because it would have been easy enough to do like, oh, Ben is redeemed, and then we go along this, blah, 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 blah. But like, no, now it turns out the the villain who was... I mean, he was the villain the whole time is now in the position of being the, the big bad. It's not Snoke. Um, I know. It, that's a twist M. Night Shyamalan didn't even see coming. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, do you, how did you feel about Snoke getting taken out the way he did? So, I mean... Like, part of me, like... So, after having time to, like, really sit and think about it, I'm like, I mean, I guess I don't care about Snoke that much. I know. <laughs> in <laughs> the do moment, I. I was just like... They, they did such this build-up. And I mean, I don't even know that Abrams did a build-up to it. Like, Abrams yeah. obviously, like, kind of sheltered him in in a little bit of shadow, and we didn't really know much about this this character. Um, it is established very clearly, though, he's not Sith. He's yeah. just a dark force. Like, like, he uses the force on the dark side of things, but he is not Sith. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, is something I like. Like, again, we're getting out of, like, specific boxes on things like we're getting back to this very broad range of like kind of gray in where it's like i mean he's a bad guy for sure Mm -hmm. um and so in the essence of like when we see snoke get cut in twine um i was just like in the moment i was just like all of the things are gone and so much of that was just built up by fans like it was fans like oh but who is he really is he darth so-and-so and yeah and at the end of the day like obviously like none of that was important like the story wasn't about snoke it yeah. wasn't about who he might have been um the story was again about kylo and ray mm-hmm. and like what that means for the force and so seeing him like get cut in half uh, I would, a part of me was just like, I would have liked to have seen him put up a little bit more of a fight. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but again, it's so established in the character in that moment, as you said, where he's very conceited about his power. He's just like, oh, I know what's going on. Yeah. Uh-huh, I know what's going to happen. He's going to cleave you down. And it's just like, I mean, you, you knew he was going to use a saber. Uh, clearly, you misjudged. <laughs> well, it's like he, he could read the intent, but not, like, who the target actually was. Like, his own hubris about his right. abilities is basically what what got him killed. Because um, yeah. he's like, I can push this little kid around like a little bitch, and he's going to do everything I say because he just wants to be like Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, take that. Which, re- I mean, which, I mean, we could have bought into easily from if we had only ever had... Kylo from The Force Awakens. And yeah. Like, 
yeah, no, I'm with this guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, I think it's also interesting, too, because, yeah, the, the buildup around Snoke was entirely fan-based. I mean, because in the first movie, we see him in terms of this larger-than-life hologram, basically. Like, no one was really quite sure how tall he was, or, you know, he just projected himself kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You know, I'm just this big figure and imposing in my own way or whatever. And then if you think back to, like, the original trilogy, I don't know in the first... I don't remember. Was the Emperor even mentioned in the first movie or shown even a little bit? Uh, mm, I think he is, but I think he's just a hologram. Yeah, okay. He's a little small hologram, and you don't really get it because... I mean, if we go about how the original was presented, um, visually, it wasn't a great experience. <laughs> and so it was like nothing was clear. So it's just kind of this fuzzy hologram, and it's just like, can you like hit the side of it? Maybe get a clearer signal. Nope. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we never really got a good representation of the emperor. So very similar in like, we didn't really know who the emperor was. We didn't know how big he was, really how powerful he was. Like we just knew he's the emperor. Yeah, and, and I think that's why it worked better for you know in in terms of the first trilogy because. You don't see, like, this larger-than-life person. You just see Vader communicating with the Emperor. We know, we hear a lot about the Emperor, so in terms of build-up, it's all based on hearsay. Like, how people act when they hear him, how they act, you know, when, when someone mentions him, you know, stuff like that. And then we don't really get, you know, uh, the, the biggest amount of screen time we get with him is in the third movie. And that's where you see, like, how powerful he is and, and all that. So the build-up to him was was largely, you know, laid in through the narrative. Whereas Snoke just was, like, right off the bat, just this big, cartoonishly huge hologram. And then in this next movie, you see him, and he's just... He just looks like a deformed dude who just happens to have evil space wizard powers. Um, yeah, like, he's a little bit of an over-the-top Looney Tunes bad guy. Mm-hmm, basically, which, which I think is... I think it's a good thing that he got taken out, because I don't think we could really take... It would have gotten too into, like, prequel territory, you know, if, if he had stuck around as a villain and was still like this, you know? It would have gotten very Dooku-ish. Yeah. So, and I don't know if that was intentional on, like, Ryan Johnson's, like, after he saw, like, what J.J. Abrams did in that movie where he's like, well, we gotta get rid of this guy <laughs> pretty damn quick. Right. <laughs> Um, because it makes more sense for Kylo to be the big bad in terms of, like, we're more invested in him as a character. Um, we've seen, like, where he comes from, and we've seen him reject uh, redemption um, twice, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I think the fact that we see we see so much out of both Kylo and Rey as, mm -hmm. as far as, like, their abilities, their powers. And sure, like, Snoke, in, in essence... Um, like had power over over both of them was more powerful directly than both of them yeah. but um again as you said it's his own hubris that really destroyed him um but it wouldn't have made sense to see like because if they had joined forces to defeat snoke it would have been these two like huge powerhouses yeah one of which who's already very well trained in the force able to take all of his training and then pass it to Ray, and then both of them be just these monstrously powerful beings <laughs> go up against Snoke, and like in, in in that version of a movie, I'm like, 
they stomp on him like an ant. Like, yeah. that's all I can see happening. Like, I don't see there being, like, any really great battle or or some, like, minor, uh, like, what? General Weasley's gonna step up to these two? Like, that was never gonna be a thing. <laughs> I, I did love, though, when Hux is just like, there's no more Supreme Leader, and he gets choked out by Kylo Ren. <laughs> Uh, he's, but, just like, he's just like, who's the supreme leader? He's like, you are. Yes, you. You. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I saw it because some people also had a problem with how cartoonish Hux became as as a villain. Because I think it was a something on Twitter. Someone on Twitter did this where they're like, in in the original trilogy, we feared the um, the Empire because they were Nazis. They were a metaphor for Nazis. Um, whereas the First Order is a metaphor for the neo-Nazis. It's the, uh, the angry white boys with power. Um, and that we should be, we, we should be afraid of them, but we should also not take them, I think as seriously as they want to be taken, you know? Yeah. Um, because they're the ones who are cartoon. They're the one here. Here's what it is. They were the ones who saw what the Nazis did and were like, and with full knowledge of, of how wrong it was, and everything with context and, and whatnot, and they still said, "Yeah, no, that's still a good idea." Like that's what yeah. that's what makes the first order scary, but also what gives us power to defeat them. Um, so I like those takes because it's like they're not just they're not just whiny white boys with power. They represent a particular group and how we should be responding to them. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is like. Is is it, it, and it is. It's two very different generations mm-hmm. in which, like, I mean, nobody is ever going to be Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> like, that, that character doesn't exist in this particular universe of Star Wars. Like, Hux was never going to step up to that particular plate. Shit, Rogue One. We see like the one guy who has aspirations of power of being more than Tarkin, uh-huh. and even then isn't even close. Like, Tarkin is very much, like, an individual identity in the Empire. Like, he's somebody nobody, not even Vader, fucks with. Yeah. Like, um, and that says something. Like, someone as powerful as Vader is just like, I'm not gonna mess with that guy. Yeah. He's very clearly got his uses, and, and he's somebody who, I think, I think in that aspect, Vader respected what Tarkin was mm-hmm. for who Tarkin was. Um, whereas in this version, nobody respects Hux. And I mean, that's actually a very early dialogue between um, Kylo and Snoke, where Kylo's like, I don't understand why you would give a plebe like him power. Mm-hmm. And Snoke's just like, because when you give a plebe like that power, They'll do anything to prove themselves and get the job done yeah. in ways that I I can't necessarily anticipate. But I always know that I that at any second I can snuff out the life of that plebe and replace them with another if I need to. Yeah, there's always a stooge. Like there's always yeah. a stooge. And that's what Hux is, or as I like to refer to him, General Weasley. Yes. Makes well <laughs> he was played by a guy who played a Weasley, so <laughs> It's just that Weasley that showed up at the end, and you're just like, oh, hey, character from the book we've never met in the film. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I, I think, I, again, I, I'm i not a 
upset by by Snoke being snuffed out simply because I just I don't think even in the way JJ presented him I don't think there was anything more to the character to be established and I mean maybe maybe JJ had tried to lay foundations of like oh man this is a character they could just build on and then as said Ryan Johnson went I don't think there's anything here yeah and just like got rid of him it's like we all know this guy isn't the real bad guy come on it's like come yeah on. and and ultimately I mean seeing Kylo <laughs> take that role we see, like, the utter vitriol and rage. Like, I mean, we see everything come out of him, which is, uh, again, absolutely burning everything from his past. Yeah. Like, the fact that, like, once they get on the planet where the rebels have now retreated to, you know, he sees the Millennium Falcon. And, he and like, everything. He's like, everything. Destroy that ship. Yeah. Everything we got. Um, well, and like, and he's he just wants to destroy his everything about his past so much because mm-hmm. he wants it's his own way of trying to move forward. Yeah, no, and 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 it's interesting too because yeah, with Kylo Ren, like uh, Snoke makes men, you know, he he basically says like you're still you're wearing that mask that you don't need. You're wearing that that helmet because you want to be like your grandfather. And and Ben Solo came from a long line, of, 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 you know, two previous generations of ridiculously awesome Force users. You know, he had this this legacy hanging on him, and it right. and it gets corrupted. Um, so yeah, for him, burning it all down and salting the earth is like the best option. Um, but he's not emotionally healthy enough to deal with it either. <laughs> like, well, well, and I mean, we even see that because like. Because, like, there's that order, and then there's the moment. Mm-hmm. Ah, the moment. Luke shows up, and, and he's just like, all guns yeah. on that man. Everything we've got, destroy him, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, man, you have got some anger issues. You need therapy. And, and But, yeah, and, like, at the same time, though, you totally understand why he has right. these anger issues. But then you're also in the sense, like, yeah, you've got anger issues, but don't the rest of us, too? We don't deal with it like this, dude. Right? Like, none of us are just like, you know what? I just want, like, if I had all of the power and and weapons and nukes, I would just focus it on this guy because he wronged me. Yes. <laughs> but, the, but, yeah, the duel between Kylo Ren and, and Luke Skywalker was just, like, so beautiful, so well done. I can see Luke Skywalker be the most badass mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker has ever been. Oh my god, it's so good. Cause it is. I, I, I think a lot of people, again, because when Luke showed up in, in Force Awakens, it's for five seconds, and he doesn't even talk. Like, so there was a lot riding, I mean, in terms of expectation on what Luke was going to be like in this movie. And the thing is, like, we get to see so many different sides of Luke in this one performance. Yeah, I mean, we see, we see, we see Luke as a bitter old man. Mm-hmm. We see Luke in the essence of what he was as a teacher. Yep. Um, and his own shadow of doubt. We see Luke uh, drink some really weird shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I couldn't help but mention that. I was just like, it's the most yeah. random scene in that whole damn movie that it's just so unnecessary. No, but I think it is necessary. It's disturbing. Don't get me wrong, but. <laughs> But when it's he the eye contact. It's the eye contact. <laughs> yes. It's like when he when he milks that creature, which I'm sure it has a name, but I don't care. Um, when he milks it and he's he's drinking that in front of Ray and that that yeah, that eye contact that's just kind of like, okay, 
creepy uncle. Um, <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's very much to establish again that Ray is meeting someone she's idolized and turns out he's not, he's not a perfect human being. <laughs> Turns out he's kind of a shit person right now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so I mean, we see we see those versions. We see, and then we see we see Luke come back to the light. Mm-hmm. We see Luke realize like everything he doesn't want to be in the legend people have established behind him is the legend that the people need. Yeah, they need this figure. They need this person to bring them back together. And, and reestablish the, the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. No, it was, it was, I mean, it was beautifully done. It was beautifully scored. It was beautifully acted. And then, and, and because we had this planet that is made of salt, or has at least the salt flats that are on it, <coughs> sorry, um, which one of the characters kindly tells us is salt because they lick the dirt, basically. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know. Okay. Is salt. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I guess the guy standing next to the dude who tastes the salt was Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One. Oh. <laughs> I, I only know this because, like, yeah, some article pointed that out. I don't know what he actually looks like, but I guess that was the dude next to him. Um, but, yeah, because not only do you have this beautiful visual from this planet, because prior to that we'd had the uh, kind of the the... Uh, the junk run by all of these like mining ships from everybody else trying to take that cannon down. Um, so you got to see like when the salt is disturbed, you see that red crystal beneath it. Um, and so it's established like uh, Kylo has the, gr- you know, like twists his feet and you see where the red, sh- you know, shows. But then when Luke does it, you don't see anything move. Like there's no, there's no red footprint. So they like send that message out as, you know, if you saw it or not, it's there that Luke isn't really on the planet. Right. Well, and it, and it happens, it happens just fast enough that, it, that an audience not looking for it could, could have it, ha- could, could miss it. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't, I, like I saw it, but my brain, I don't think registered it right away yeah. until like towards the end. And then I was like thinking about it and I was like, wait a second, Luke's feet, never changed the ground like the because we i mean we saw the racers and like it turns red we saw kylo's feet move and like it turned red like we saw all these things mm. but never at any point did we see that and i was like oh my god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and and again this is where we get the second probably biggest force power that has never been shown in a in a star wars movie yeah. which is astral projection um Fuck which apparently yeah. is really damn difficult for a guy who's been out of touch with the force for a long time yeah someone who's cut himself off like uh, which is you know information we learn while he's training ray um he's cut himself off and then between ray and kylo when they're talking about which one of them is possibly doing the force connection kylo lets slip like no you're not powerful you're you're you couldn't be able to do that it would kill you uh so it's it's like laying the groundwork for this to happen and then when you find out Luke is the one doing it and he's, you know, he's, he's meditating, he's doing it from a position where like the force is the strongest, but even that is enough to just drain him. And again, like, like I said earlier, he gets to, cause Yoda had said this to him when he was trying to, you know, burn the, uh, the ancient tree down. Um, and then Yoda like force lightnings it. Um, 
when he he says to Luke, like, you know, Master Skywalker always looking to the horizon, you know, which has yeah. always been Luke's, you know, one of Luke's problems is that he, he kind of like Poe, he won't see the bigger picture sometimes. He's just, he's looking off into the distance. He won't, and he's not, I think it's that he's not present either. Uh, yeah. Something like that. I could be getting those mixed up. Whatever. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think that scene, the, the scene itself, the dialogue, everything is done so well, because we see Kylo kind of, again, as that petulant child. Yeah. Where he's, where Luke's just like, you know, Luke tells him, he's just like, I'm sorry, Ben. And he's just like, I bet you are! <laughs> I was just like, oh, Jesus, come on. <laughs> so, like, um, I know but, you are, but what am I? <laughs> right? Um, but I mean, I think that does well to establish, like, Kylo, again, as much as he wants to burn his past, like, he's still very immature. Like, he still hasn't, he still hasn't grown into, into any place of understanding. Like, mm-hmm. he's very reactionary. Like, I, I don't want to understand, I just want to fix it now the way I think it's best to fix it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and, and that whole dialogue, it was very reminiscent of, of the third prequel movie in which, you know, we see, we see Obi-Wan confronting Anakin. It was almost like this weird mirror where Anakin, you know, Obi-Wan was just like, you know, I failed you. Yeah. I'm sorry, Anakin, and, and, and I, I know that I did that, and, and I regret it. And we see Luke say that same thing where he's just like, I, I failed you, Ben, and, and, and I'm sorry for that. I accept it, um, but I can't let you do this. I can't let this continue. Yeah. And, and yeah, so it's, it's just so beautifully done, and yeah, it's a fitting, it's a, I mean, I don't know. Do you think it's a fitting end for Luke? Um, I think it is. I think the, 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 the thing is, is like, we had such a long disconnect in terms of our own timeline and reality yeah. from Luke, right? The version of Luke that we all we all knew up to this point was this young this young man who is kind of, kind of again like the whiny petulant child that was just like like God, could you just like be better? <laughs> and we see him finally become that character at the end, you know, in Return of the Jedi. Like we see this sudden wiseness that Luke has. We see him suddenly have this understanding of things Mm -hmm. and an acknowledgement for the force and, um, and a longing to save his father that makes sense. Like we see those things. And then we have this huge timeline gap. Um, and I think, I think the reality is I, I don't know. I have a hard time picturing Luke going any further. Like I have a hard time imagining Luke being, Luke, as we see him in this movie, in the third installment, like, um, because uh, I don't need another Obi Wan. Yeah. I don't need that to carry over. Where it's like we go through, a, you know, an actual like training montage. Now that he's accepted <laughs> himself back to the Force and and all that, and actually training Ray, it's it seems so unnecessary. I, I feel like at the very least in the next movie. Mark Hamill will show up as a Force ghost. Force ghost. Yeah. It's going to be a Force ghost. Yeah. I feel like Ray's going to try to, like, communicate with him, and they'll have, like, a couple of scenes or something like that, or maybe just one. I don't know. It's... I don't... I don't feel like this is the last we'll see of Luke, but... Right. I, I would like an Obi-Wan scenario, like we saw Luke have mm-hmm. in the original prequel, where, you know, it, I mean, it's the, it's the moment of revelation that Darth is really his father, and Obi-Wan's like, I... <laughs> 
I mean, I could have told you, but what would it have changed? Yeah. Like, it, it, it wouldn't have done anything. And I could very much see, like, that moment happening where, I don't know, maybe Ray's like, I thought I could... I thought I could bring him back. I thought I could, I, I could change him, that it, it would happen. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, Luke Skywalker going, you know, I tried to tell you. Like, <laughs> I, it, and there's nothing we can do about it now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you have so much capability. And maybe it is still a possibility. Who knows? Yeah. No, that'll, that'll be interesting. Because, yeah, it, the, that would be a waste if they didn't use Mark Hamill at least at some point in the next movie. Right. Um, But it is interesting that in the first movie we lose Han, the second movie we lose Luke. Leia's, in terms of character, is the last of the the trio to still be kicking around. Um, Which kind of seems fitting, because Leia was the better survivor than any of them, so... Right. I'm I'm pretty cool with that. Um, But it's... I think it's interesting also in terms of the progression of the story, you know, cause you, you lose uh, Han in the first one. So it's like, that was the one we were all kind of, I think if anyone knows anything about star Wars in terms of behind the scenes, everyone was kind of expecting Han to go out because that's just what Harrison Ford wanted. Yeah. Harrison Ford was like, I'm too old for this shit. Exactly. I'd like to not do this anymore. But, but we lose him in a moment of, of him trying to be a father. It's like, which is, I think, the opposite of what people thought would happen to Han. Like, you right. always figure Han was the kind of guy who would go out guns a-blazing. Um, turns out, he was just trying to have a, a moment with his son. He was trying to reconnect. Um, and that's what, what got him killed. Um, and then Luke goes out essentially fighting. You know, like, that's that's what drained him so much, was trying to project this, you know, self to, to do that that thing. So it's, I feel, I don't know. It just seems interesting. Like that's how they went out in, in different ways than we probably thought they would. Yeah. So however the hell they try to write in how Leia goes out, I I don't know if it's going to be as poignant, but in terms of how the other two went out, it was like, huh, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying if the Wookiee dies, I walk. (laughs) Chewie lives forever. We all know this. Right. Right. Like, well, clearly like Chewie, Chewie was alive in the prequel series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chewie was alive in the, you know, the, the middle. He's got to be alive for the end. And and I have to say, like, I know it was fan service for children, and it was obviously, like, a little bit of Disney marketing ploy, but I don't care. The Porgs <laughs> were amazing. <laughs> they were fine. Like, oh. The whole scene, like, well, and it was really, like, the lead-up, like, for the most part, like, initially they were these really annoying characters that they were introducing for creatures, and I was just like, oh my god. And it was really only the scene where it's like, Chewie's hungry, he's clearly been on this island as long as Ray's been on this island, and Luke's not paying him any damn mind, and he's just like, I gotta eat. (laughs) So, he's roasting these little penguin bird things. And, like, it's the poor who's just, like, the quivering lip. And, I mean, I was. I was laughing. I was laughing with everybody else in the audience. Because I was like, this is so ridiculous what is happening right now. Yeah, like, I didn't mind. The the porgs didn't bother me. Um, I actually really liked the um, the crystal uh, wolves that they oh, had. yeah. Like, I think they're called Volpexes is what, is what I saw. But I was like, I would love to have one of those. But if I tried to hug it, it would, it would cut me. Um, <laughs> like, right. literally everywhere. Well, <laughs> thing is like so a, a lot of people don't actually know um those were a practical effect like some of it was cgi'd uh-huh. but there were a lot 
of scenes with those where they were a practical effect. So somebody actually designed something that looked shiny and kind of fox-like, and uh, I was like, that's amazing. Like, oh my god. Son of a bitch, you people at Ellen. What, uh, Industrial Light and Magic? (laughs) Right? And and that's one thing is like, and that's something I'm always interested in, and and I'll look for in the DVD as far as like the behind the scenes. It's like, how much of this movie, because we know that like JJ did a big thing of like, I want to make as many practical effects about the first movie Mm -hmm. as I possibly can. So part of me is like, how many practical effects are we going to get? Yeah. This one. Um, I found out, Tom Hardy uh, had a scene in this movie that was ultimately cut from uh-huh. the movie. And I was like, see, again, I love this. I love this fan service of, like, like actors who, like, grew up being fans being somewhere in these movies and it just being so incognito that it's just like, I didn't know that actor was ever there. Yeah. Where Where is he uh, in the movie? He's a stormtrooper. And oh, okay. It's, uh, yeah, so it's it's a scene where uh, where like the they're all on the imperial ship or whatever, and I it was described. I can't remember exactly what the scene was, uh, but ultimately, yeah, it just didn't make the cut. But no. Tom Hart was just jazz. He was just like I was just so excited to be like there, it's, and I was just like, it's, it's like what Daniel Craig in The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where, yeah, he's, he, you know, and it was so incognito, because, again, he disguised his accent, and, like, he had, you know, that stormtrooper, like, kind of microphone thing going on, so it was just like, you had no idea, and then, like, later, it's like, yeah, that was, that was Daniel Craig, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked about that, what do we want to talk about, the other thing, um, shoot, 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 I had it, and then I lost it, let's talk about Ray's, uh, Ray's parent, no, not Ray yet. Phasma. I want to talk about Phasma because she's the fucking Boba Fett of this stupid trilogy. <laughs> right? Damn it. It's like for a character who had so much potential and so much hype around her because it's fucking Gwendolyn Christie. And if you don't. Yeah. Who's Brianna Tarth. Yeah. Who's the most badass character in all of Game of Thrones. Exactly. Like to cast her in this role. And she's got, like, a, a, a badass Stormtrooper outfit, like, all chrome-plated and shiny. Um, and they do nothing with her. Like, she she gets captured for some reason in The Force Awakens. And, and then in this one, she fights uh, Finn for, like, two seconds, basically. And then it's all like, oh, rebel scum, blah, blah, blah. And then she just, she, then she's pretty much dead. I mean... I don't think there's I any know. coming back from a collapsing uh, well, fireball. I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, I think she lived. She and was I was just like, if she did, they're going to bring her back in some like weird fashion that I don't know if I'm really comfortable with. Because it, it just, I I don't know. It, it feels ingenuous to me. Yeah. Um, and like this, and, and as you said, it felt like that Boba Fett moment when she falls into the fire of the burning, crumbling ship it felt like watching Boba Fett fall into the damn Sarlacc pit. Yeah. Where it's just like, wait, that's it? This guy who incinerates people? And then he's just out, out, out like that. Like, that's that's it. Okay. Okay, great. Cool. <laughs> well, not even awesome. that, like, my thing with Boba Fett is, like, yeah, he looks cool. But think about, like, what he does in the actual trilogy. He, uh, he gets a, he gets assigned this bounty of Han Solo, but Vader's the one who ends up capturing him for him. And then, uh, and then when he actually, and he has a stupid jetpack on his back, and the one time it would have been actually useful for him to, to, you know, 
uh, utilize it, he gets knocked <laughs> over by a blind man and a Wookiee into a Sarlacc pit. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, I, and granted, I haven't watched all of like Clone Wars or like the uh, the, the Rogue series or whatever. Like, I haven't yeah. watched those, which apparently give a whole lot more background to Boba. But Don't I was care. Just like, but again, it's all young Boba. None of it's older Boba. So like, we see young Boba do some interesting things. But apparently older Boba is a giant bumbling idiot of a bounty hunter. <laughs> apparently older Boba just isn't very good at his job. I mean, he's, he's kind of the worst. Um, but yeah, Phasma just falls into that category because she doesn't do anything. And and the one thing that they could have really used her for in terms of like her and Finn going at each other, it the their fight in The Last Jedi isn't earned. Um, because I, I seriously don't understand why she wasn't the one fighting him in Force Awakens when they're on Maz, Maz's temple, uh, in those, when it gets blowed up and everything. Like, because there's that dude who's yelling, like, traitor! And I know that there's some book background. I think you were mentioning that to me at one point. Yeah. Um, like, that was one of the, the kids he grew up with and, you know, whatever, he feels betrayed. But it would have made way more sense if that was Phasma, and they. Well, and that's part of the problem is is, I, and I think there's the same with Phasma. There's a whole book about Phasma now, yeah. and it's just like that's great, but it's a book. Yeah, like that's the problem is like you you have an established media version of this franchise, mm-hmm. and you can't expect your average Joe or really anybody to like go out of their way to explore the extended universe that's within the books to go, oh, I get, okay, now it makes sense. Like, that shouldn't be a thing. It needs to be established in the primary version of the property that people visually are taking in. Exactly. I mean, what the book should be doing is filling the in-betweens in terms of the movies. You know, because you have to establish something about Phasma and Finn's, like, uh, relationship as a commander and a subordinate. In Which order has never existed in, exactly. in what we've seen in movies. Exactly. So yeah, that fight in, in The Last Jedi is just like, okay, they fight again, and then she gets taken out like a bitch, and she falls into <laughs> a fireball. Um, so unless she comes back as a forest ghost, which I don't think is going to happen, uh, there was no point to Phasma at all. Which is right. disappointing, again, because Gwendolyn Christie, really good at everything. And yeah. she's just awesome as a person, so I would love to have her in more of Star Wars, but maybe as a character that did something. Well, you know, they're doing all these solo movies now. Maybe they'll oh, do fuck. Phasma, the solo movie. Shit, it's gonna be some prequel <laughs> bullshit anyway, so whatever. I already have to, like, figure out if I'm even going to bother sitting through a a young Han Solo movie. Like, I needed that. Um, You will sit through it at some point. Maybe not in a theater. Probably on Netflix. At some point, you know you're going to watch it. Oh, no, yeah, eventually. I don't know if I'm actually, yeah, going to pay money to go see it, but it might be... I hate to say I will, because I fall in that category of, it says Star Wars on the (laughs) cover, so I'll watch it. You know, if they were going to do a young Leia movie, I would be genuinely more interested in that, because... If you think about Leia's role in in the Star Wars universe, like her, the time before she meets, you know, she gets captured uh, by Vader and everything, like when she's a young princess, like trying to figure out like her place as, you know, like her her adopted father is is part of the rebellion and she has to like be undercover and all this kind of she, stuff. Like, 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 how did she become involved? In exactly. That? And how did she 
find her role to take over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, I think there's a way more interesting story in Leia. Exactly. Like, you know, uh, young Han Solo, it's like, oh, we're going to do another heist movie? Okay. Um, right. <laughs> I, I personally do not care how he got the Millennium Falcon. It is not important to me as a person that right. I know this information. Because I assume he... Because I think they even say it in uh, Empire Strikes Back. He got, he won it off of Lando, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Problem yeah. solved. Um, well, and they are doing... I know they're doing a Kenobi movie, which yeah. a lot of people are like, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, actually... If they do it right, maybe it could be interesting because it would actually explore the timeline between when he like fled into exile mm-hmm. um, from being discovered, went and talked to Qui Gon and and learned new things about the Force and like what the hell did Ben Kenobi do? <laughs> well, while Luke was like I don't know infant annoying toddler to annoying teenager to when he met Luke like, yeah. like what the hell was he doing on like was he on Tatooine the whole time mm-hmm. or like was he doing other things like I think there's a way more interesting story that could be found around Kenobi especially if they do bring Ewan McGregor back for it because that is the big rumor is that they they actually like got Ewan McGregor McGregor um, to come back, and he was very interested in the role to start with. Yeah, he seems like, pretty oh. keen. It's just like, if he's excited about it, sure. I mean, again, it, it falls into a territory where it's like, is it necessary? I mean, I know that, like, the Clone Wars covered a lot of stuff, and I know uh, Rebels has also covered a lot of stuff, too. Well, and, and this is the curse. I mean, uh, as much as, you know, uh, I, I like a lot of Disney properties and what Disney's done. I like the fact that they have all the money, so, like, the Marvel <laughs> franchise, for the most part, has thrived mm-hmm. because of that. Um, but mm, Disney is about its marketing. It's True. about making money, mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of that's what these one-off films are. Is it's money. So yeah. ugh, who knows? Um, I hope they don't ever like go down that path with any of the characters in this trilogy franchise. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, Darren needs a solo movie. Nope. nope, no, he doesn't. He absolutely doesn't. Does, does <laughs> not need. And I know that I think there was an interview with Daisy Ridley. And she was even saying, like, after episode nine, she's done. She's out. Yeah, she's like, I, I, I don't feel like I have to keep playing her my whole life. And, and I don't think there's going to be as much of a push for that either. Because um, right. there's not, like, this nostalgia thing hanging over, like, these new movies the way that the, the previous ones had them. Obviously because of time difference and social media and whatnot. So, um, and, and I'm cool with that. I'm cool if they, like, do these, like, trilogies and focus on other people in this universe because it's right. like, like what this, what in this kind of segues into the, the like kind of the last big thing that we should be, really be talking about, which is Ray's parentage, which a lot of people were like, Oh my God, she must be totally like related to someone. Maybe she's like Luke's secret daughter with J- with Mara Jade, or maybe she's like the reincarnation of Obi-Wan Kenobi, or maybe she's blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and then when she, goes to the, the, I guess, the, the dark place of the island where the, uh, you know, she goes and, and looks at herself in the mirror. And it's it's a really interesting kind of trippy way of doing their version of the, the cave scene with um, with Luke in Dagobah. Uh-huh. Um, and she, like, the big question she has and the question that the audience has is, like, who who are my parents and where, or where are my parents and everything and the answer is just her reflection. Like, she doesn't get the answer she wants. And then we find out from, you know, between her and Kylo Ren that she is, she's a nobody. 
like her parents are people who sold her off so that they could get money for booze, basically. Right. Well, and I know a lot of people. A lot of people are outraged about that, and those same people are holding out this hope that, like, well, Kylo couldn't. You know, how could he know? He can't know the past or the future. And <laughs> like, even even a friend of mine was just like, "Yeah, but we still see, like, in the Force Awakens, there's the ship that flies off. So if her parents were killed and like buried in, oh, in the sand Christ. somewhere, like, why would that ship fly off?" And I'm like, "Because that was the people who killed them and buried them in the sand." Ooh. Like, I. <laughs> Um, but I mean, like, I, I'm not holding out hope. I don't want to hold out hope because I'm okay with that finality because it gets us out of the Skywalker box. Yeah. Like we get to establish, and and the thing is, it actually, and and I, I was actually talking about this with somebody and I was like, it actually brings us right back to the beginning. Yeah. Full circle. Anakin Skywalker was born of nothing. His mother was a slave. She was nobody special. She didn't have any unique like a connection to the force like he was literally born of the force through her like she had no like it wasn't some mysterious lover so we've really kind of come full circle at that point back to ray is this super powerful force user who's nothing significant like she didn't come from some like crazy lineage and I'm okay with this 100% of the way. Exactly. And I think that if they try to make her into somebody who's like ultimately connected to anyone in the next movie, that would be a disservice. Because the whole point of her being a nobody is that she's everybody. And that was the whole point with Luke as well. I mean, this this whole like broad strokes archetype thing is that it's, it's self-insert in a lot of ways. It's like it's giving you just enough to latch onto so that you can kind of live through that character in some way. And yeah. that's what we had with Luke. Um, Anakin, not so much because, you know, Jesus. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Jesus metaphor. Um, Christ figure. Uh, so we had, that, we had that especially with Luke because, again, he came from nothing, supposedly. I mean, at the, at the beginning, he came from nothing. Right. Um, and so I think that that's necessary and that it also drives home the, the theme of anybody can, you know, uh, tap into the force if, if they have the desire to, that it is strong in, in whoever chooses to see it or has a connection to it. And it's what makes that last moment with the boy, uh, the slave boy, and him, like, uh. very lightly force-grabbing that broom, which is... Because I almost missed it. Like, I just kind of wasn't paying attention yeah and and i thought that was so important because if you don't you don't fulfill the whole idea that ray is no it doesn't come from anything special like a bloodline like the skywalkers or or anything then that moment with that boy suddenly rings so false you know this is about everyone joining together and everyone becoming part of the resistance um and everyone having hope for the rest of the universe so if, right. Well, and we I change mean, that, that's the thing is, like, the Skywalkers really, were really only important. <clears throat> what I mean, it, as far if we go by by time wise, Anakin was maybe like mid twenties when he like shifted, mm-hmm. um, and so by the time like Luke was in his early twenties and like really con- or even late twenties and confronted Vader. Yeah. So I mean, at this point, like we have a lineage that's only been established what maybe a hundred years in total. So it's just like, why is that so significant? Why does that have to be like the King Arthur of everything? (laughs) Like, 
we, we can totally get away from that and establish that there's other... And, and that's the thing, is like, Star Wars already had done that, even in the prequel trilogy, where, where we had characters like Mace Windu, and we had characters like Yoda, who were very powerful Force users, or even Obi-Wan Kenobi himself mm-hmm. was a very powerful Force user, so why did... I mean, I understand, like, it was, it was George Lucas' story, but why do we we as an audience have to stay stuck in this universe of like the only most powerful force users are this particular lineage. Yeah. That's just, um, that's bad storytelling. Yeah. Like that's what that is. And so thankfully this movie kind of course corrects. Um, and, and I think saying that too, how do you feel about JJ Abrams taking over the, the next movie? Like, do you think that that's a step back, um, for the franchise? It's hard to say because I think I think JJ as as I kind of said earlier I think he set up particular things in the Force Awakens mm-hmm. that maybe he was hoping like they were going to run with <laughs> in, <laughs> in the Last Jedi <clears throat> and Ryan Johnson really turned a lot of things on its head mm-hmm. for the Last Jedi that don't at all go with maybe certain things that were set up in the Force Awakens so I think JJ finds himself in a precarious position now yeah. in in writing a new story in which he has to go, well, okay, I'd established certain plot lines or story characters that I thought we were going to do a lot more with, and now we're not. Yeah. Um, I think J.J. Abrams is a great storyteller. Um, I think a lot of the movies I've seen him direct, I haven't been disappointed in, like I haven't been upset by. Mm-hmm. So I think he has the potential definitely to finish out the story in a great way, um, I think. I think what leaves me going, I don't know if it's going to be a hundred percent the best, mm-hmm. is because he's already had a foot in the universe, and J.J. Abrams has a very particular way that he tells stories cine- the, with with cinematography. Yeah, like his cinematography doesn't. So far, what I have seen has never been like. A Christopher Nolan version of cinematography, where or or even what Ryan Johnson did in this movie, where there are these really poignant moments that are done in such a fashion that we visually see that I'm left as a as as a critic and a viewer going, oh my god, there's there's layers to that. A yeah. lot of like what JJ has shown in the past has been very very surface level. Yeah, he. I mean, he's good at aping other people's stuff. Like he's he's a great nostalgia guy because he tries to like ape a lot of Spielberg and you know even in uh, Force Awakens, he wasn't necessarily challenging anybody. Uh, I mean, he didn't really have to. The what he had to do was what he did. You know, he made a fun Star Wars movie again. He made us love Star Wars all over again. Right. Um, and I think that that was. I think that's his purpose. Like, I don't... I, I like J.J. Abrams as a person. I think he's he's a good director and everything. But I think after what we've seen with Ryan Johnson, I feel personally like someone else should have taken over. Like, they, there needed to be an extension of this story going through someone who could tell it properly. And I don't necessarily think J.J. Abrams is the person who's going to be able to do that. <laughs> right. But he could prove me wrong. I don't know. But... I know. Well, well and, and maybe that's where we'll see him evolve as a director. Maybe Possibly. maybe we'll get really fortunate in what Ryan Johnson did in The Last Jedi will push J.J. Abrams to reach outside of his own comfort zone 
and challenge himself. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I, I will hope for that. Um, but I'm not I'm not confident that that will be the case. That, that's a big maybe there, James. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, um, I think we've covered everything, quite frankly, but do you feel like that there is something in the movie that you've wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to, or are are you good with where we are? Um, I think overall I'm pretty good. Um, I mean, I will say, like, for, for those listening, for sure, like, if you're in disagreement with a lot of the things we've said, um, again, I think, I think once the movie comes out on DVD and you have the chance to, like, really rewatch it and really, like, focus in on things... Because, um, again, a lot of this, like, I haven't watched the movie more than once. I, I literally paid once for a ticket, I watched it, and a lot of this is rumination that I've just, like, I love the movie so much, a lot of it is reprocessed through my own mind yeah. really well, and I've remembered so much of it. Um, like, it still feels fresh, even though I watched it, like, a month ago. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, it, it, this is the same, like, when I really love a movie, I have, like, really good recall, and then when I really hate a movie, I have really good recall. So it's like this and like Batman versus Superman, really great recall. Only saw it yeah. one time. Yeah. So I, I would say like anybody listening, like if, if you're if you're in serious disagreement with a lot of what we're saying, like again, <laughs> I would wait for the DVD release. Really, like really, and, and really sit down and analyze it. Like um, you know, give give it a chance to really see the subtext. Um, for anybody who's listening, who's who's in large agreement, I mean that's awesome, and I hope you've seen a lot of the things we have. And if you haven't, I hope we've you know we've we've given some sort of additional enlightenment. <laughs> or you just you know listen to two hours of us going, man, I love this movie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I you know I've listened to those kinds of podcasts too, so I am in your boat. Um, but I guess yeah, <laughs> sorry. I think that's where we'll leave it, because I'm probably going to lose my voice at this point. Um, So, James, uh, before we go out, anything you want to promote? Um, me! Me. Um, So, I have, of course, Roman on the Rocks. Um, I have been, uh, I haven't put out anything in the last, like, couple of weeks, I think. Um, But I I am producing content and getting that put out there, so you can find me on SoundCloud um, through, just look for Roman on the Rocks on SoundCloud. Um, You can also go to my website, www.romanontherocks.com. And Twitters and all that, everything is Roman on the Rocks, so just look for me out there on the webverse. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that we can finally uh, talk about Last Jedi, because, you know, we've been wanting to do that. It's just sickness and whatnot have prevented (laughs) it. So um, I'm glad you could be here again, James. And uh, as always, uh, good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs)